All right, let me start with a quote from Aristotle so I can sound smart. Anyone who doesn't need company is either greater than a man and is a god or lesser than a man and is a beast. So this morning we're going to talk about friendship. And as I was prepping this week, I kept thinking, okay, so what I need to do is I need to explain to them why they need friends. And then I realized that if we took a poll, I'm not sure that there would be anybody in the room that was like, I disagree. I don't need friends. I'm fine. Now, we all have seasons in our life where maybe friendship is not the top priority. We're like, no, no, I'm good. I can do this on my own. We have those moments. But overall, for the vast majority of people, we already know that we need relationships. We need friendship. That's what this whole series of Timeless is about is about different relationship, different aspects of relationship, not just in the home, but in our home, right? In the home of our life, our friends, our marriages, our families. So we're going to talk this morning about friendship, but I kind of want to flip this script. And although it would be super easy to tell you how to be a good friend or how to get a friend, that was a joke because it's not easy. Have any of you tried to make friends as adults? In kindergarten, it was very easy. You were sitting on the swing next to another kid, and you looked at them and said, will you be my friend? They said yes, and you were done. Like, that was it. <laughs> but people feel weird about that when they're adults. Exactly. Like, you can't walk up and be like, hey, will you be my friend? I've done that, and it's only worked once. Because <laughs> they were funny, too. So it worked. But <laughs> adult friendships are really hard, and I think it's pretty obvious why they're hard. Like, if we just brainstorm for a moment, why do you think adult friendship, this is the part where you talk back, why do you think adult friendships are hard? Why is it hard to make friends as an adult? Just Insecurities? insecurities? Barriers like time, right? Now, instead of sitting on the swing, we're sitting on, at work, and we're like, hey, I want to be your friend. You seem not crazy, so let's be friends. So we've already lowered the bar, right? Let's pencil in a time to do coffee. Okay, so I'm busy until May of 2022, but I think we should totally be friends. How many of you are like, oh, we should do dinner sometime and have never done it? Adult friendships are hard for a lot of easy reasons like time and, and then there's some hard reasons like insecurity. There's something that happens between kindergarten and 30 minutes that it makes it harder to have friends. It just makes it harder. Something happens in us. But one thing stays the same, and that is our need for friendship. After God created man, he said, this is good. This is very good. And then he goes, and there's a problem. It's not good for a man to be alone. And in the creator himself, there was three in one. We talked um, a couple weeks ago, the last time I preached, we talked about community and how important it is. So we're going to, like, you just heard about that part. So we're going to skip the part where I convince you that we need to have friendships. And instead, I'd like to talk about how to be a friend. How to be a friend. Because maybe, maybe your longing is like, how do I get a friend? But we also learned in kindergarten that the best way to get a friend is to be a friend. 
So I hate to be the kindergarten teacher today, but that's, we kind of got to get all of that part out of the way so that we can get to the meat of this. There's a great book called The Eleven Indispensable Relationships by Leonard Sweet. And you're lucky that I decided not to preach that because that's 11. And I was like, I'll just talk about the 11 relationships that are so important for everyone. Um, and then we'd be here for days. So we're not going to do that. But you should pick up that book and read it. And then I started seeing these other lists of the kind of friends that we need. And I was like, ooh, this is really good. I'll just categorize the kind of friends we need. But then I felt a longing. I left that part of the study with this longing. And like, where do, so do I pass out applications for these 11 indispensable relationships? How do I get those? And so I switched it and I felt this, this pull in my heart that instead, maybe we need to learn to be the kind of friend that we need so badly. And we're not doing 11, we're doing three. <laughs> because I'm smart, and I went to Pepperdine this week for the Bible lectures. It was my first time, um, so now I'm smart, because I went to Pepperdine for the Bible lectures. Um, but I cheated because they were talking about David this week, so I am also going to talk about David this morning. <laughs> you can call it, like, lazy, or you can call it super smart. That's what we're gonna call it today, <laughs> super smart. Just tell Tim that's what it was. So we're going to talk about David's life because there are three people in David's life that really stuck out to me as relationships that we need to be for other people. Okay, and I'm going to, I might slip and be like, these are relationships we need. We all need these. And that is true. But I want you to hear today that these are the kinds of people we need to be for others. Because that's something we can actually do when we get out of here. And I am a sucker for a personality test, but if we start thinking about, oh, here are the friends I need, then you're basically giving your friends a personality test. Are you this friend? Are you this friend or are you this friend? So there are three, three kinds of people that I see in David's life. But here is what I saw throughout the Bible in total. And that is there is not one friendship that God does not want to use for his glory. Amen. Let me say that again. There is not one friendship that God does not want to use for his glory. All throughout scripture, we see his, the heroes of the faith have relationship with people. I mean, if you think about it, the Bible is really just story of relationship. Relationship between us and God, relationship of, between people. But I truly believe that there is not one friendship, not one in your life, not one in my life that God does not want to use for his glory. Now, here's how I'm going to make that okay, because some of you are like, no, I'm sure, actually, um, my daughter has a friend that is not being used for God's glory. I didn't say that if you do it wrong. I'm saying there is not one relationship that God does not want to use for his glory. And his glory might be shown in the end of a relationship. But his glory is often shown in relationship over and over and over. And doesn't that make sense? Since the very nature of God is relationship, doesn't it make sense that his glory would be shown through relationship? In fact, I would argue that that is the only way that his glory can be truly shown is through relationship with him and with other people. Matthew 7, 12 says it this way. 
So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This is, what do you call that? The golden rule. The golden rule. But the idea here is that you will attract what you are, not what you want to be. You'll attract what you are. So if you are a kind, patient person, you will attract kind, patient people. Not if you like kind, patient people, but you're kind of a jerk and mean. You do to others as you would want done to you. And it's, that sounds like instructive, but it's also descriptive. In fact, Craig Rochelle says that you are, you are the sum of your five closest friends. It also is true that if you want to lose weight, the person that has the most impact on whether or not you're going to do that is your friend. It's not like who you, like what your parents did, it's not what your husband is doing, but if your friends are doing it with you, you will more likely lose that 10 pounds. You are, you become a sum or an average of your five closest friends. And so instead of looking and going, ooh, I have some editing to do, unfriend, unfriend, unfriend. Instead, let's become, let's bring up the average for our friends. You and me, today, through this passage, let's become, let's bring up the average. So, let's take a look at David's life. The very first friend that we see in David's life, you know, other than the bears that he had to kill, that was really sad. Um, but in, so we're in 1 Samuel. If, if you have your Bibles today, we're going to like truck through here. So if you want to join me and open your Bibles to 1 Samuel, that's in the Old Testament. It tells the story of Samuel. Yeah, 1 Samuel tells the story of Samuel. And Samuel's actually the very first friend we're going to talk about. In 1 Samuel 16, um, the Lord says to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? See, Samuel has not done super great so far because he anointed a king because Israel said, I want a king, I want a, a king, I want a king. And God's like, you don't need a king. And Israel's like, no, but I want one. And so Samuel anoints Saul, and Saul's already not doing so hot. Now, we'll see actually the story of Saul as we go through David's life today, little snippets of it, and we're not going to paint a real pretty picture. But God has already said, okay, this is, this is not good. What we've got going here, this, this current king, we need to, we're done. We need to get done with him. Let's go anoint another one. And so he tells Samuel to go and, to Jesse's house and anoint his new king. And Samuel's like, sweet. So who's that going to be? And God's like, I'll show you when you get there. Now, you can tell Samuel's a faithful person because he still goes. I like to have all of the stuff. Like, I like to know what I'm going to do before I get somewhere. But Samuel's like, okay, God, I'll go. So he goes to Jesse's house, and the story goes that Jesse has his sons come and parade before him from the oldest to the youngest, except for the last one. And Jesse, uh, Samuel's like, ooh, these guys are good. They're tall. They look like warriors. This is awesome. It's that one. And God's like, no, 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 not that one. He's like, okay, maybe the second one. No, no, not that one either. Nope, 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 nope. And Samuel's like, okay, so Jesse, do you have any other ones? Because we've run out of these guys. And God still says, nope. And he's like, well, I've got one. But he's, he's out back. They didn't even think to call him. 
And so he gets David. And then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. We're in verse 13. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. So here's the first kind of friend that we need. The first kind of friend we need is one that points up. We need a friend that points up, that tells us, that tells us what God sees in us. We need to be the kind of friend that points up, that looks at the relationships we have in our life, looks at those people and says, you know what God sees in you? And maybe that sounds super intimidating. You're like, I don't want to speak for God. God did not tell me to go to Jesse's house. But we all know truth about each other. We all know the truth about what God says, that we are beloved, that we are chosen. We all need friends, and we need to be the kind of friend that points out what God sees in each other. Think about a time when someone saw something in you that you didn't see. I assure you, David did not see that he would be king when he was out back. When he didn't even get invited to the party. So have you had a time in your life where you were out back? Where you didn't get invited to the party, but someone found you and said, Ooh, you. You're the one. You know what I see in you? I see in you someone that can dot, dot, dot. I, I've had those experiences. I was a children's pastor at a church in Lexington, Kentucky. And I had a leader that was my very first ministry job, my first full-time ministry job, and I was pretty sure that I had no clue what I was doing. But that actually worked to my benefit because I knew that I didn't know what I was doing. So I went and found people that did know what they were doing, and then I just did whatever they said to do. Worked out really, really well for me. But I had one of those people that I found. His name was Marcus. And he ran a nonprofit in Lexington that helped at-risk kids in downtown Lexington, Kentucky. And when he spoke, I just did it. He was like, hey, I think you should do this. That sounds great. I'll go do that. And I would just go do it. But the interesting part about Marcus, why he still stands out in my life, and that was years ago, he is still someone that calls out in me what God has given me. He was one of the very first people to say, hey, I think that you're a good leader. You should go lead. Hey, I know I just showed you that we should do this camp. I think you should lead it. Hey, instead of me getting up and doing the message today, I think you should do it. And I remember thinking, no, 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 I literally just do whatever you tell me to do. I'm not that person. But he saw what God was doing in me, and he called it out of me. That's what Samuel did to David. He saw what God wanted to do in David, and he called out in him. And in ancient culture, he poured oil on his head. He said, you're going to be king. Now, can I be honest? This part of the story always confuses me, because it was like, you're going to be king. There was oil poured. All of his brothers saw it. The Bible says all of his brothers saw it. And then... 
nothing really. Like, did Samuel just pack up his oil and be like, okay, peace out, see you in a little bit, and just walked away, and the brothers were like, cool, and they just walked away too, and David went back out to the sheep, and it wasn't until that little story called David and Goliath, and, and by the way, it's not like the king found out, and so he called the future king up to kill the giant. No, David's dad said, hey, I'd like to hear the latest gossip. Could you go take your brothers some lunch and find out how it's happening? He sent the future king with cheese. It's so weird to me. Like, if I were David, I'd be like, did you all just see what happened here? Oily head right here, gonna be king. The Samuel called out in David even before anyone else knew or believed it was gonna happen. But as we see in David's life, he certainly stepped into that role any chance God gave him the opportunity. So when he was given cheese, he killed a giant. But we need to be the kind of friend who points up. Some people would call it the crown bestower. Who are those people in your life, maybe in your past, or maybe you have one right now, that are pointing out what God has for them? And who can you do that to? Who's in your life right now that you can say, oh, 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 I see what God's doing in you, and call it out? We talked almost a year ago about being a hero maker, somebody that has those I see in you conversations. Be on a treasure hunt for your friends, even people who you don't call friend yet. Be on a treasure hunt for what God's doing in their life, and then be courageous enough to call it out. What's the worst that can happen? You're wrong? You told somebody that they should do something for Jesus, and you were wrong? <gasps> oh, no. I think there are far worse things, and one of the worst things is that they're never told that God wants to use them. They're never told what God thinks of them. So be the kind of friend who points up. Jesus did it with his disciples, specifically Peter. He says, you are the rock and I will build my church on you. He had an I see in you conversation. Now, that was the same man that denied even knowing Jesus. But Jesus said, on this rock I will build the church, Peter. This is what I know God wants to do in you, and he called it out. The second kind of friend is one that shows up, and we see this in Jonathan. So we're going to turn the page over to uh, 1 Samuel 18. And this is after uh, David has slayed Goliath. Um, he actually, before he slayed Goliath, the king called him because he was also a good musician. So he brought David in, and when Saul was going nutty, David would play music, and it would calm the king's heart. It would calm him. And then, of course, the cheese incident, and David killed Goliath. And somewhere during this, he meets Saul's son, Jonathan. Now, I don't know if you understand this. I've watched enough, well, I've heard enough fairy tales to know that the king's son would be the heir to the throne. So this is heir apparent, Jonathan. And this is what the Bible says in chapter 18. It says, 
Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. So the very first thing the Bible says about David and Jonathan's relationship. First, I'd like to commend Jonathan for even wanting to be this guy's friend. And it does beg the question, how many people knew about the anointing thing? How many people knew that Samuel thought David was going to be king? And did Jonathan know? Did Jonathan know and still choose to be David's friend? I, I don't know that we can be sure. But after that, after we hear that Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship, then we see that Saul tries to kill David. And then, in a really weird, twisty, dark, icky moment, Saul's like, I'm so mad at David, I want to kill him. I know, I'll make him marry my daughter. Not saying much about Michal right there. <laughs> He's like, oh, I know. I know what'll get him. I'll give him my daughter. And so now, Jonathan is not only heir apparent, He's also his brother-in-law, and this relationship is getting more and more complicated. And then in chapter 19, it says, Saul ordered his son Jonathan and all his servants to kill David. But Saul's son Jonathan liked David very much. So he told him, my father Saul intends to kill you. Be on your guard in the morning and hide in a secret place and stay there. I'll go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are and talk to him about you. When I see what he says, I'll tell you. So Jonathan has already decided, no, this is my friend. I am his faithful companion. He showed up for David. He showed up and he was loyal, even when not just his father, but the king wanted to kill him. Who can you be a friend to like that? Who can you show up for in those moments when things are really hard? And if it's anything like David and Jonathan, it might surprise you who that's going to be. It might be super inconvenient for you to need to stand up for that person. Can you be a faithful companion like Jonathan was? Proverbs 18.24 says it this way. One who has an unreliable friend soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You have to wonder if Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs, had heard stories about his dad and his best friend Jonathan when he wrote this. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who can you step in for? Who can you show up for? And showing up takes a lot of different forms. Sometimes it's actually showing up. Showing up when someone's sick. Just showing up, preferably with baked goods. Maybe it's showing up in authenticity and vulnerability. You, know, you don't just want to show up and you're like, oh, because that feels like a pat on the head, and that's icky. That doesn't build a friendship. That's not what Jonathan did for David. No, who do you need to show up for with your whole self and your whole heart? And say, okay, I'm, I'm going to risk. I'm going to risk what I have to be your friend. And I think God is calling us to do that for one another. I do. 
Who can you show up for when they're moving? Who's had those friends? Who's had people show up and pack boxes? When we were moving here to California, um, I have a friend, her name is Carly. And Carly's one of those get-her-done people. She's just one of those. She's also one of the coolest ladies in the whole world. Carly, Carly came over the first night we were starting to pack. And I was getting a little bit overwhelmed. I was looking around at my house, and I was like, well, I don't want to take things off the walls. And we were going to try and sell most all the things that we owned. Because it's a long way from Texas to California, and I figured California has stuff. We can get our stuff here. But, but then when I actually started going through it, it really overwhelmed me. But we were getting ready to have a sale so we could sell all the things. And so in theory, we could buy them here, but it didn't work out. Um, but I was getting really overwhelmed. And you have those moments. Do any of you get so overwhelmed that you just kind of stand there and stare? Well, Carly walked in right about then. And she read me well, and she goes, okay, sit down. Okay, so I sat down, and she goes, how about you go pack a box in the kitchen? And she handed me a box. And I was like, but I, there's like 10 people coming over. She was like, go pack a box in the kitchen. <laughs> okay. So I went to the kitchen. This is the first night we were going to pack. We walked out four hours later, and my house was empty. I don't know what happened, but Carly showed up, and she showed up in a need that I had that I wasn't even really sure how to tell her what I needed, but she showed up in that moment, and we can be those friends. Jonathan did it for David. His was a little more dramatic. My dad just said that I was supposed to kill you, but instead, I think you should go hide I'll figure out how he really feels, and I'll let you know. And it's not the last time that Jonathan did that. We can also show up for each other through prayer. And I know that sounds like, oh, you have to say that. You're preaching. No, do you have friends that show up for you in prayer, that storm the gates of heaven, that fight that battle for you, that show up for you in prayer? Who, who know that they know that they know that the very best thing they can do for you is ask God to intervene. Do you have those friends? But more importantly, are you that friend? Who can you show up for today? Who can you show up for this week? It's your greatest power as a friend. Romans 12, 15 says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I would also like to add, while they're mourning, if you can get them to giggle, that's okay too. <laughs> Do you have those friends that when you're sad, they don't avoid you because they're afraid it's catching? Can you be the kind of friend that when, you're, that when your friend has just gotten everything that they have ever wanted, that they got the promotion that maybe you were also looking for one, that they got pregnant when maybe you've been really wanting that same thing, when they got engaged and you've been dating your boyfriend for seven years, also get a new boyfriend. But <laughs> can you be the kind of friend that mourns with those who mourn, who shows up and cries with people who cry, and who shows up and rejoices for people when they're rejoicing, who celebrates, who parties with the people when they're happy.
Can you be that kind of friend? And I think that's what we learn from Jonathan as well. And there's a final friend that we see in David's life, and that is Nathan. These are the kinds of friends that speak up. Can you be the kind of friend that speaks up? Now, for some of you, you're like, yes, and I'm very good at this, and I don't know why I don't have so many friends. (laughs) So we'll talk about how that happens. And some of you are like, "Mm, I wouldn't have any friends if I ever made them upset. That's maybe why we all take personality tests. But I assure you that God intends for us to be the kinds of friends that will speak up. And Nathan did that. Nathan did that for David. Now you'll have to switch over to 2 Samuel for this one. In these pages that we're flipping through, eventually Saul goes completely mad and is chasing David all around. And eventually, in a battle, Saul and his son Jonathan die. And when that happens, then David becomes king. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see, Daniel, or we see David, not Daniel, wrong Bible story, not lions, <laughs> but something very similar. David sees a really pretty lady on top of a roof. And that's where the famous story of David and Bathsheba comes. David makes a horrible, horrible choice. And when he's up walking around on the roof of his palace, he looks down and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath on the roof. Now, we could ask lots of questions about this. Why is she taking a bath on the roof? (laughs) I have a sneaky suspicion that has something to do with culture. (laughs) But a more interesting question is, why was David taking a walk on the top of the palace? And it's an even more interesting question when you realize that his troops were out to war. But David was at the palace walking around looking at naked ladies on top of the roof. So maybe David was already starting to fall into some pride. Letting his troops go do the dirty work. While he's walking around and enjoying the palace that he's been given. Maybe that king thing went to his head a little bit much. So we see David and he did. He summoned Bathsheba. He slept with Bathsheba. And then he did maybe even a more horrific thing. And he finds out that Bathsheba is married, and he goes, oh no. So then he calls her husband into the palace, who's a soldier, by the way, one of the ones that's out in war. He summons him, he brings him into the palace, and he's like, hey, give me a report, how's it going? And he gives him the report, and he goes, oh, sounds like you're working really hard. Go home and sleep with your wife, because I just found out she was pregnant, and I need you to hurry up and sleep with her so that it doesn't look like I had it, because it'd be a little weird if maybe um, she hasn't slept with her husband in a while, and yet nine months later she has a baby. This, people can do math. This is a problem. Too many questions. But her husband says, I couldn't do that. My men are out at war. I can't go home and enjoy my wife. What a difference. David's up on the roof walking around enjoying the palace and he summons his men. And then maybe one of the worst possible things that David could do, and it's certainly, oh, knife in the back. David writes a note, hands it to her husband and says, go deliver this. The note said, put this guy on the front line so he dies. He had him deliver his own death sentence. 
back to war. Because David felt trapped by his sin. He felt trapped. And it does, it comes to pass that he dies in war. Enter the friend who speaks up. Enter Nathan. So the Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he arrived, he said to him, and I'm just going to read you the story that Nathan told David, okay? There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small lamb that he had bought. He raised her, and she grew up with him and with his children. From his meager food she would eat, from his cup she would drink, and in his arms she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. Now if I told this story, I'd be like, he took the poor man's lamb and <laughs> took it. He took the one thing. Nathan is saying, he took this rich man, took the one thing the poor man had. David, not catching on real quick, was infuriated with the man in the story. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because he has done this thing and shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. And here's the friend that speaks up. Nathan replied to David, you are the man. He told this story and he said, can you believe that someone would do this? And David's like, no, that's awful. And then right in that moment, Nathan goes, that's you. That's you. And thank goodness for Nathan speaking up. Because just a few verses later, right after that, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He heard his friend speak up. He heard the truth. And he had enough sense to say, I've sinned. And Nathan didn't just drop the mic and walk away. Nathan said, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. Nathan spoke up both to convict and to offer grace. Who are you speaking truth to? Who are the friends in your life that need to hear truth from God? Who can you be a truth teller to? And some of you are really, really nice, and this is really, really hard. But can I tell you that you are the best equipped to do it? If it hurts a little to tell truth to your friend because you know it's going to hurt them, that means it's totally your job to do it. Because in the context of relationship, in the context of friendship, that truth will be received. And you can continue the relationship and help them walk out what obedience looks like. Nathan didn't just say, you're the man, and walk away. He kept coming back to David. He, he waited for him. And he said, you also need to know that you've been forgiven. Who can we do that for in our lives? Who can we tell the truth to? 
Proverbs 27 says it this way. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. It doesn't mean that it'll go over super well. I mean, David could have just said, off with his head. How brave of Nathan. David already killed one guy about this. Why not just say, and now you have to die too? But he stopped right short of making another huge mistake and realized that wounds from a friend can be trusted. So what wounds are you willing to be courageous enough What friend can you tell the truth to even when you're afraid and stick around long enough to offer grace? These conversations are hard. Nobody likes the guy that is the one that says, no, that's you. You're that guy. You're the one that took the baby lamb from the poor guy. That's you. but we have been affected. You and me, we are affected by that one decision because David turned around. He repented. He led well. It's interesting to me. I, I feel like we all have those friends or we all have benefited at some point from someone saying hard things to us. I, I spoke at my church in Texas, and it was one of my very first times ever to preach. And I don't know if you understand this about the difference between girls and boys, but even the people that are the difference between girl preachers and boy preachers, boy preachers, when they wake up, they just look for whatever shirt is pressed, and that one works. For a girl, we're like, hmm, what should I wear? I don't want to look too nice. But I don't, now you're all looking and judging my clothes. Um, this was a horrible idea, a horrible illustration. Well, I was speaking on Mother's Day in this particular case. And I was like, oh, it's Mother's Day. I'm a mom. I can be kind of fun. And I have this slightly big personality. And so I can pull off some fun stuff. It's fine, I thought. And so I wore this shirt that said uh, Mom Squad on it, because Mother's Day, I thought it was funny, ha ha, that was adorable. Um, and I wore this skirt, um, and it was black and white polka dots, and then yellow shoes, because that seemed like a fun thing. So I wore this, I was super proud of my outfit, I was like, I'm fun, I'm trendy, it's Mother's Day, I can do this, it matches my personality, I, was, I felt good about it. Well, about a week later, I had a friend, I, well, we'll call her Nathan, um, <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend, and actually, she is a generation older than me, and I adore her. She was in a discipleship group with me, and she is a truth-teller of all truth-tellers. Well, seriously, we'll just call her Nathan. And she came up, and she was like, hey, I'd love to take you out for coffee. And I was like, okay, okay, yeah, I, yeah I'll, yeah, for sure. So we met, and we, <laughs> we sat down for coffee. Well, she had coffee. I don't drink coffee, so I had tea probably had hot chocolate with sprinkles. Um, <laughs> so she sat down and she spent the first 15 minutes telling me how 
Like she was speaking life into me and encouragement. She goes, you have no idea how proud my husband and I are of you. This is a woman that had invested in me to send me to some coaching. Like this woman, she really had invested in me. We had relationship. And she was spending all this time telling me how, how she loved listening to me speak. And I should have been suspicious. Because <laughs> about 15 minutes in, she goes, okay. So, um, do you, why did, so why did you wear that skirt? And I was like, what, huh? And this, she's like a corporate coach. Yeah, she's super fancy and awesome. Um, and I was like, because it was Pokemon. Like, I don't even know what to say. How do you, I don't know, I don't know, because I went through 55 other outfits, and this is the one that won eeny, meeny, miny, mo. It's what happened. And she was like, um, and I don't know if you have ever seen that TV show that has the character Karen that's like, honey, honey, what's going on here? What are you doing here? What's going on? <laughs> that's basically what was happening. And she was like, so I think maybe you should never wear anything like that again if you really want to preach ever. Okay, okay all right, what should I wear? And she was like, let's talk about it. And she spent the next 30 minutes helping me craft a more professional wardrobe so that I wouldn't be distracting in her words. So evidently you're never going to see the polka dot skirt. <laughs> and I know that may seem silly, like, well, it's whatever. You're fun, you can do whatever. No, that was, that was such love from my friend. That, that, was, that was such care. And I know it's silly because it's clothes, but it wasn't just clothes. She was telling me truth. And I'm so grateful for it. I still have the skirt, but it's, I'm so grateful for it. Who is the kind of friend that you can tell hard truth to? Who is the friend that you know is kind of screwing up right now? And they need somebody that loves them, really loves them, to say, hey, stupid. Let's go have some chocolate because we need to talk about stupid. And I'm going to walk you through this. Let's walk together as you fix this. As God heals you, let's do that together. Who can you be that friend to? And maybe who do you need to call after the sermon today because they did that for you and then you never talk to them again? Who can we be those kinds of friends to? We're all one friend away from a great change in our life. Maybe it's the friend that shows up to help you move. Maybe it's the friend that tells you a truth that will literally change the course of your life back into obedience to Christ. Maybe it's the friend that calls out in you who God says you are and what he has for you. And that will change the trajectory of your life. So I just want to take one moment, and I want you to, I'm going to be a little bit silly for just a minute. I want you to go ahead and close your eyes, if you trust me. Close your eyes. If you don't trust me, close your eyes. I want you to ask one question. Based off of what the Bible has said to us about friendship today, what is God asking you to do about it?
based off of this timeless truth that God will not waste one relationship, that he intends for every relationship to glorify him. What is one thing he's asking you to do today? You know, it's true that we are all one relationship away from a change. In fact, there may be some of you in the room today that you are one very important relationship, one very important friendship away from changing your eternity. God calls us friend, which is crazy. The creator of the universe, the one who saved us, the one that we sin against all the time, he calls us friend. And some of you, that's the relationship. That's the friendship that you need to invest in today, maybe for the first time. So if you're longing for a friend that will tell you the truth, for a friend that will stick closer to you than a brother, for a friend that will say about you truth, truth about who you are, then I offer you the friendship of Jesus. Every week, we spend time reflecting on what Jesus did to, to create a way, a pathway for us to have friendship with him. We call that time communion. And as friends, as a body of believers, we take a little cracker that reminds us of Jesus' body, and we take a cup of juice that reminds us of his blood, and we take and eat and take and drink to remember Jesus' sacrifice. So if you're serving communion today, you can go ahead and go out, band, you can come up. Because this friendship, the friendship with Jesus that he's offering you, this is the one that matters over all the rest of them. And I would argue that this is the friendship that if you don't have this one, all these others make a whole lot less sense. Without Jesus, do you really want a friend telling you the truth? Gee, then there's no grace to offer. The very best friends I've ever had, the ones that are the most faithful, are the ones that also carry the name of Jesus. There's a commonality that's not just, well, you know, we basically believe the same thing. No, we have the same best friend. So during this time, during communion, if you, if you need to make that decision, to take a first step, I assure you God is asking to be your friend. The Bible teaches us that truth. But if you need to take that step, just come see me in the back. I'd love to tell you about my friend, Jesus. I'd love to help walk with you as you start that friendship with him. Not just as a buddy, but as Savior, as Lord as the one that can actually do anything about all this.